Acts chapter 19, <clears throat> verses 11 through 19 in your Bibles. Uh, how many of you brought a Bible this morning? Let's see them. Oh my goodness, that is awesome. I'd love to see Bible sales take off again, wouldn't you? Praise the Lord. I mean, I know people love the convenience of their uh, digital devices, but I, I just, I don't know, the idea of Christians walking around, got a big Bible tucked under your arm, going places, letting the public see you and say, oh my God, there's another nut with a Bible. And um, praise the Lord. And up on the dead, who said that, was, Barbara, was that you that said you put it on the dash, leave it on the dashboard? Oh, must have been Helen or something. Strategically put the big Bible up on the dashboard of the car. It slides off. Yeah, well, you know, that's because you don't use the Bible cozy that Granny made for you. You've got to put that on there and Velcro it so that it stays. And that way, when you go to Walmart, people know, you know, that this car belongs to, yeah, Christian church people. Yeah, you know, we need to lift up the Lord. And I'm so glad to see that you, you, you got your Bibles with you this morning. So Acts, cha Acts chapter 19, um, beginning in verse 11. We're, we're in Acts 19, we're jumping right into the um, middle of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit early on in the days of the early church. And um, the word was just going forth and, and people were getting saved and delivered. Jerusalem was a, a hotbed of... Um, great, great activity and, uh, and hostility. You know, the, the Lord is never afraid of a hostile environment. Matter of fact, he seems to be kind of attracted to them. And um, so in the midst of, in the midst of this, um, they've left Jerusalem and now they've, the Christians have fanned out. They're, they're just all over the empire preaching the word of God and Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is famous for its idolatry worship. The great goddess Diana, uh, that, that was apparently the, her hometown. And um, so that's where Paul was, preaching the gospel. People were getting saved, healed, delivered. Awesome things were happening. And this little narrative talks about that. I want you to follow carefully until we get down to verse 19, and then that's, that's our verse for this morning. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that <clears throat> when even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his body were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. But some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those that were possessed by evil spirits, saying, I sternly warn you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now, seven sons of a man named Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. But the evil spirit replied back at them, I know about Jesus, and I am acquainted with Paul, but who are you? And then the man who was possessed by the evil spirit, jumped on them and beat them all into submission. Christians should never be beat into submission by the devil. Just want to say that. 
that uh, we are called to be more than conquerors, not to be beaten into submission by the devil. But these guys were using the name of Jesus, and they were getting beaten into submission by the devil. And so it says he prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So he, he put a beating on them, and they ran out of the house. And it, the scripture goes on to say, this became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear came upon all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Many of those who had believed came forward. Everyone say, came forward. That's significant. Many who believed came forward, confessing and making their deeds known. Large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them up in the presence of everybody. And when the value of the books that was added up was found, it was found to be a total of 50,000 silver coins. Now, that had to have been a pretty huge pile of books of witchcraft and the occult and New Age. Uh, that was back when New Age was old age. Um, but there was a lot of it going on, apparently, in Ephesus. So after all of this uh, narrative of what happened, there is the wrapping up, the, 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 the conclusion, the, the statement looking upon all this. Luke, the author, of uh, Acts is inspired to say, and so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Everyone say prevail mightily. God's will is not that you should be beaten into submission by the devil. God's will is that his word in your life cause you to prevail mightily. Words are the most important element in the world. There's nothing in the world more important than words. Words form the traffic lanes of life. And words either come from God and will lead and produce his will in their life, or words come from Satan and they will lead to his will in people's lives. So think of the traffic of life as words. The highways, the lanes that we travel are words. And those words have either come from God or they've come from the devil. They're either going to result in God's will or they're going to lead you into Satan's will for your life. In fact, Proverbs, many of you are probably familiar, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life. Not, nothing in between. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, God made physical seeds to reproduce physical seeds, but he made spiritual seeds. Uh, I'm sorry. He made physical seeds to reproduce physical life, and he made spiritual seeds to reproduce spiritual life. And so... If you think about nature, everything in nature perpetuates and reproduces on that principle of the seed. Seeds are sown by plants, seeds are sown by animals, by people, and it is through the sowing of those seeds properly that produce physical life. But we are spirit beings having a physical experience. You ever heard people say, um, 
I am a human being having a spiritual experience. And people talk about, oh, I, I think I've had a spiritual experience. But the reality is, is that we are spirits having a physical experience. And this physical experience isn't always going to be here, but the spiritual part of our life is eternal. And the reality is, is that though the outer shell that we live in was produced by the physical properties of the seeds that produce human bodies, the you that lives in that body was produced by words. In fact, mankind is the result of communication. We were created by speaking. God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. He made the physical body with the capacity to produce seed and to reproduce itself physically. But the soul that lives in those bodies depends upon words spoken forth to bring it to pass. And God created you and I by speaking. So mankind is the result of communication. And we were created by speaking, and ever since then, human history has been the story of words that prevail. If you're a student of history and, and you enjoy history like I do, one of the things that you realize as you look back over 6,000 years is that communities, great families, nations, empires have risen and have fallen based on words that prevailed. The prevailing words of those days created the rise of empires. The prevailing words of those days also created the fall and the demise of those empires. Words are the story of human history. Words that prevail. Think of what makes words prevail. We see great ideas and thoughts, both great in the good sense of the word and great in the horrible sense of the word. We see these tremendous ideas rising across the face of the earth, and with it, raising up or burying humanity under their influence. These ideas prevail because people repeat them. People speak them. It is the volume of putting out words that causes ideas to take hold. Ideas are expressed constantly, but the ones that prevail are the ones that are repeated, the ones that are taken hold of. You have only but to look at the previous century that at least everybody here had part of your life in that century, in the 20th century, to see horrible examples of ideas and beautiful, wonderful examples of ideas, words that were seized upon by millions of people. And the more they heard those words and the more they spoke those words and the more they subscribed to the ideas behind those words, the more society rose or society fell. We saw in 1917 the success of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, the birth of the first truly successful Marxist communist state, and then what followed in the next 75 years were millions and millions, until the end of the 20th century, where over 100 million people were annihilated, put to death, because of the ideas of Marxism that rose and multiplied across the face of the earth. Some of the greatest revivals 
in all of human history took place in the 20th century. In the turn and the dawn of the 20th century, the great Pentecostal revival sparked at Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California, released a great Pentecostal revival that went across the face of the earth that gave birth to one of the greatest missionary movements of all time. And throughout the century, those revivals throughout the 20th century would resurge as the words prevailed. When people stop believing and speaking the word of God, it no longer prevails. It subsides to a level of neutrality. It makes peace with the world around it. It becomes neutral in society. It doesn't impact. It doesn't rise above. It doesn't prevail. It doesn't increase. It doesn't grow so that it impacts society. It simply submerges and simmers in society. And the same goes for the words of Satan. The evil ideas, the godless ideas, the ideas that the Bible simply refers to in the Old Testament as idolatry. The ideas, there's nothing new under the sun, the ideas of idolatry that have been refined into um, uh, fascinating theories and ideas. And we see it today. People just can't leave a bad thing in the grave. They've got to dig down and dig it out and bring it back up again. And we see it today with critical theory and, and all of the different experiments that that new generation has to try. And if you get enough people to get behind it, speak it, and believe it, it begins to take critical mass. And in our day, with the birth of the, the uh, digital age, ideas multiply at the speed of light. Millions of people subscribe to them. And so we have a population today that are locked in kind of a rugby scrum. I know y'all are rugby players here, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever watched a rugby game and all these guys, half of them from one team, half from the other, and they lock arms and they've got a ball between them and they're trying to move that ball, but that scrum is just kind of goes back and forth, back and forth, without leading to either defeat or to victory. And uh, most of the time, people are locked in a kind of a, a scrum because none of the words, the words of darkness or the words of light, are prevailing enough to supersede the opposition. So mankind is the result of communication. But the key to prevailing over life's troubles is to understand that life is a conflict of words. Words created us. And our history is a history of the words that prevailed. And so if you want to prevail over life's problems, you have to understand what really makes life life. And prevailing over life's troubles begins with understanding that life is a conflict of speaking. Every word you utter either contributes to God's will in your life or it contributes to Satan's will in your life. Every utterance out of your mouth either helps or hinders you. Let me repeat that again. Every word out of your mouth either advances you or pushes you backwards. It either lifts you up or it shoves you down under. You want to get ahead. You want to break free. You want to overcome. But out of your mouth 
words that Satan inspired continue to flow. You can't move forward if backwards keeps coming out of your mouth. Amen. You can't rise up if what put man in the grave keeps being repeated out of your mouth. You either help yourself or you hinder yourself every time you speak a word. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, Peter writes, For you have been born again, not of seed. Remember, we're talking about the seeds of spiritual life are the words that God speaks. And so Peter seizes on that idea, and he says, You were born again, not by natural seeds that perish, but that, that which through the living and abiding word of God produced life in you. So you are born again by that living and abiding word of God that is non-perishable. Listen, there are words that are perishable. They're throwaway words. You ever wonder why did Jesus say you shall give an account for every idle word that you have spoken? Why was, why was the Lord so concerned about idle words? Because he understands there's no such thing as an idle word. Every word either hinders or it helps. There is no neutrality. Not in this world. There are things that are very close to the middle and can go either way. And, and at first glance, they look neutral, but nothing is neutral. And so with the advent of the digital age, the conflict of words in the 21st century has exploded and accelerated into hyperdrive. With cell phone in hand, billions of children, teenagers, and youth across the face of the earth can now speak to the world in a split second. And the world is shouting back in their face. The whole world is talking to you through those cell phones. And you can talk to the whole world at any one time. This is, this is a capability that is unprecedented in human history. We have never had a society where this kind of power, this, this kind of, of access to words and to speech has ever existed. But it exists today. And I mentioned children because you think about it, what sets a child apart from an adult is that they're still in the molding stage. Not that we don't learn as we get older, but they are like sponges and they're very moldable. And Satan, Satan loves youth. He loves children. Not the way God loves them. He loves the capabilities. He loves the access because he knows if he can permeate a child's life, he can have them for the rest of their life. And children are very defenseless. They are filled with fantasy and filled with ideas that are still in flux and have not settled. And so though I love the old Pink Floyd song, teacher, leave those kids alone. You know, I used to hate that song because I thought, we need a good education, but that was back when you actually got an education Amen. rather than an indoctrination. But kids today, we should be playing that song in every school across America. Leave those kids alone. But Satan 
has seized through the digital revolution upon the ability to flood the world with words. But that same ability, that same mechanism also belongs to us. God has always used the avenues, the communities of communication that the world uses, the very same ones, and his word prevails. Satan cannot compete word for word, one word. What's that song, Glenn, you always sing? Just one word will do. Just one word. The Pharisees had committee meetings. They got together. They argued. They were constantly talking. Jesus opened his mouth with a little phrase, one or two words. They came in the garden to arrest him, probably having kibitzed and conferenced all night long about how to trap him and oh good we got the we got this guy Judas Iscariot he's told us where he's at and so after a lot of talk they go into the garden ready to arrest Jesus and they come in and they say we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus didn't flood them he didn't overwhelm them with a whole bunch of talking what did he say three little simple words I am he and what happened to them they fell to the ground. Through I am he, bam, over they went. Wouldn't you love to be able to, do, when the enemy comes to arrest you, when sickness comes to take you, to take your children, when poverty, when strife kicks in the front door of your house, comes in, threatens you, when temptation rises up from within you, wouldn't you love to be able to just utter a word or two words? You can't. You can't. In Jesus' name, no, no, no. And have the enemy be thrown back on the ground. Well, you can. You can do that. God has given you the ability to prevail. Everyone say, prevail. prevail. So with the advent of the digital age, the world is shouting back through all of our devices, and we are drowning, quite frankly. We're being swept away by a tsunami of words. And listen, the, the, for the most part, the Christian reaction by many churches, the Christian reaction to this tsunami of words that, is, that has filled and flooded our culture is to use Christian sentimentality, that's what I call it, and prayers, prayers and Christian sentimentality to try to swim upstream, swim against the tide, the tsunami of words that is taking our society out to sea and we're trying to go upstream and swim against it with sentimentality, Christian gospel sentimentality. Here's what I mean when I talk about Christian sentimentality. It's taking the word of God and extrapolating out of it ideas and then trying to defeat the devil with those ideas. That's not the word. That's your ideas about the word. Sentimentality isn't working against the devil. Sentimentality is not winning anybody. Sentimentality is not getting the church anywhere. Sentimentality is exemplified by saying, Jesus loves peace and we need to be peaceful. It's taking the specific words of God and spinning them into a concept. Now those concepts can be actual. They can be accurate, but they're not always accurate. 
Sometimes, by the time they've been conditioned by current culture, they have had the potency stripped from them. And now we're just talking about the ideas of peace. And Mahatma Gandhi is equal with Jesus at that point. You understand what I'm saying? So you take these concepts, take the Sermon on the Mount, and the things he talked about concerning the poor, or concerning uh, any of the things that Jesus mentioned. And you take those things, and you begin to process them, till you're no longer speaking the word, quoting the word. Why is it so important to quote specifically the word? Because the word is a covenant between God and the earth. Amen. God has not only created us through his word, but he then relates with us through his word. Amen. And he comes into a legal binding relationship through the blood covenant. We've spent a lot of time covering the ground of what blood covenant really means. But God flows through the contract of his word. So when you come, when you try to come to heaven to get a result upon the earth with some half-baked sentimental idea that's been extrapolated from the scriptures, that's when the heavens are brass. That's when prayers don't get answered. That's when nothing happens. And people become discouraged. They think, well, you know, I've prayed. You can't shoot ideas at heaven with a prayer gun and expect to see heaven's response on the face of this. I'm sorry. You can literally pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but if you're not praying the word, if you're not on the word, if you're not using the word, and let me take it a step farther, because the Bible says in our text that the word increased. In some scriptures, some uh, translations, it says the word grew. Until that word is growing and increasing and multiplying, it doesn't have the potency for it to prevail. What is the difference between a seed of truth and a plant of truth? Is that the seed of truth is still a potential. The plant of truth is the word that's been acted on. When you act upon the word, which means when you obey what the word says, when you yourself are governed by what the word says, then the, world, the word of God can prevail in your neighborhood and prevail in your community. But first, it's got to prevail in your life. There are too many Christians out there praying that God's word will prevail in Ephesus when it's not prevailing in their homes. It's not prevailing in their churches. It's not prevailing in their individual lives. You cannot ignore the word and allow your life to be a mixture of what Satan says and what God says and expect a prevalent result of victory. It's just not going to happen. So that, that scripture that follows, and let, let's talk for a moment. I'll come back to that, that verse the scripture I was going to quote again was at the end of Acts uh, 19 and 11. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's talk for a moment about what happened. Why did that word prevail in Ephesus? The scripture says that Paul and, and the disciples were going through Ephesus, and they were, they were publishing the gospel. They were preaching the word. And the result was that people were getting saved and 
delivered and evil spirits were coming out of people and people were being healed. And uh, there was a tremendous revival exemplified by repentance. People were changing their mind about the culture that they had submitted to and showing public rejection of that culture by burning their idolatrous books in the public square. They weren't worried about hurting people's feelings. They weren't worried about who was going to be offended if I burn this book and people are standing around and they've all got those books all over their coffee tables and their mantles. Oh, I might offend them if, it, if I let them see me burning a book that they hold dear. Nobody was worrying about offending the culture around them. These were people that were escaping the disastrous results of an idolatrous culture. These were people whose lives had been bound, destroyed by the addictions and the captivity of a world of darkness. And Jesus has come into their life, and the word of God is prevailing, and they can't get rid of that nonsense fast enough. Glory to God. I don't know. That puts a smile on my face somehow. I just dig that. So what, what was happening is they were preaching the gospel, and it was having a prevailing effect. There's three reasons, and I want to close with this. Uh, there are three reasons why the word prevailed in Ephesus. And just understand when I share these that God wants his word to prevail and to deliver the captives of our day. The captives in Pinellas County, the captives in Tampa Bay, the captives in Florida, the captives in the United States of America and across the world. He wants to deliver those captives today, but the word is going to have to prevail in our culture today. And, the, and it's going to have to prevail against a culture that is far more intense than the culture that had Ephesus bound in its day because we have the whole world and all of its thoughts of darkness distilled down to simple little portable devices. Now, I love my cell phones. I keep them updated. You're not going to see me walking around with some old flip phone. Uh, you know, I've got the latest technology, but let's not kid ourselves. This is a, this is a speaker and a television of the world. The world talks to us. And 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds, in five seconds, can expose themselves, just like 20 and 40 and 80-year-olds do, expose themselves to the devil from every corner of the globe in the face of the earth. The danger is off the chart. Nothing like that was happening in Ephesus. The sheer weight and volume of the words that are crashing down upon the minds of young people today is insurmountable unless there is some kind of a reaction from God's people and the word prevails. So there's three things that made the word prevail in Ephesus that will make the word prevail in our communities. Number one, the word prevailed because it was being sown. What a concept. They were not having little private prayer gatherings and in their little homes, little coffee clatches and praying together. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love getting together, have a little intercessory group and everything. And then keeping it private while going out 
through their daily lives to work and everything. Nobody knows they're a Christian except maybe a sticker on their car, a little something on their desk. But keeping it quiet, no. The believers in Ephesus were making it known that the gospel of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes. And they weren't doing it in those um, uh, harsh, condemning tones of, of rejection. They were heel-clicking and dancing and happy as the Lord in his love over you. They were rejoicing that the Lord had set them free, but they weren't hiding it. They were sharing it everywhere. So they were sowing the word, sowing the word. And when Jesus talked about sowing the word in Luke chapter 8, it says the seed that was sown on good ground, where it brought forth 30, 60, and 100 fold, he said this about the word being sown with a good result. He said these are the seeds or where the word was sown on good ground, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. Everyone say keep it. See, what a novel idea. Keep the word. Not keep it on your coffee table, but keep it in an honest and good heart. Let it change you. Let it check you. Let it, let it correct you. Don't let yourself get outside of the word. Don't let yourself live contrary to the word. Don't let yourself speak contrary to the word of God. Keep the word in your heart. Keep it in your life. And guess what? It'll prevail in your life. Amen. The problem is we are trying to see a revival that will prevail through a church that's not prevailing in their own house. So the word keep when it says they heard the word and they keep it is literally, if you look it up in the original Greek language that it was written in, is a military. The word keep is a military term that means a fort or a garrison. It's keeping the word of God and using it like the sword of the spirit. It is the thing you use to defeat the enemy. You protect it from the ideas of the word. So let me move on. Number two, the second thing that they did that caused the word to prevail is that the word prevailed because it clearly confirmed personal covenant over magic. It clearly, when they were preaching in Ephesus, what happened in that, that duel between the sons of Sceva, the exorcists, they saw Paul preaching the word and casting demons out in the name of Jesus. They thought, oh, well, this is a new magic thing. It's really working. We're going to try it. They went and found the town demoniac, tried to cast the devil out of him, and they said, <clears throat> devil, uh, we command you in the name of Jesus, who Paul is preaching, come out of this man. And the man just squared up against them, and he said, Jesus, I I know, and Paul, I'm aware of, but who the heck are you? Who are you? You see, God's word belongs to you because you have a covenant with God. The devil knows people who have a covenant with God, when they use the word, Satan recognizes it. The, the devil doesn't say, who are you? Because he sees the Holy Spirit in you. He sees the blood of Jesus over your life. He sees that. Doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Doesn't matter how you feel. 
The point is, you are walking under the blood of Jesus Christ. And heaven is backing that fact up every second, every moment of your life. The Bible says the blood is speaking from heaven a better covenant than what Abel had. Heaven is constantly filled with the intercession of Jesus saying, she's mine. He's covered by the blood of the Lamb. So when you use the word of God out in that community, trust me, the forces of darkness know the difference between those that are just using scriptures and those that are exercising their covenant with God. When you exercise your covenant with God, it will prevail. Hallelujah. I wish I could say a whole bunch about that. I just don't have time and I need to get to number three. But maybe you might want to write down Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 on that point about the word they preached. When those guys were preaching the word, they knew that word was theirs. They owned that. This is my word. When I preach the God, this is my gospel. It may surprise you that when Paul was writing the New Testament, there were times when he referred to the gospel as my gospel. My God, I hope you think of the word of God as your word. This is my word. I have a covenant with God, a oneness with him. And, and this is my word. I have a sword and I get to use it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil separate you from your covenant. I don't care how down you feel or if you've fallen flat on your face. Get that word out and go to town with it. Because it's yours. Don't act like a sinner. Don't let the devil talk to you and tell you that you don't have that authority. You've got it. Open your mouth and speak out that word. It's yours. And uh, Proverbs 4, 20-22, it's the one where it says, My son, attend to my words, incline your ear, and let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and medicine to all their flesh. Finally, number three. The third thing they did regarding the word that caused that word to prevail in their life was the word prevailed because it challenged the uh, idolatrous culture and produced repentance. If the word that we are sharing with the world is not producing repentance, but people are coming to church, they're not getting saved. The word's not prevailing. You can get people streaming into your church. That's not that hard to do. It can happen, but the reality is that these guys that were getting saved, the word was prevailing, and they had a revival of repentance going on. They were publicly showing that they were rejecting the culture that had kept them captive. And they were burning their books of idolatry publicly. Today, can you imagine a church conducting, I mean, they'll go down to the beach and have a baptism service, but how about a bonfire to burn the idols? A public confession, just a statement. I've turned from these things, and I've chosen the life of God's word. I've turned from the words of darkness. Today we leave the whole idea of repentance, of, of rejecting idolatry, we leave it in the secrecy of people's own private lives to figure out whether they should turn from darkness or not. 
I don't know how this would sit with a lot of Christians today, but the reality is, is what happened in Ephesus happened because publicly, listen, many of those who had believed came forward. That's why I had you quote, repeat that, came forward. They didn't just stay private. They came forward and publicly confessed their deeds and made them known. Wow. They publicly said, I am rejecting and turning away from this, and I am receiving Jesus as my king. I'm turning from the king of darkness. I'm turning from idolatry, turning to the light. And it says, large numbers who practice magic collected their books and, you know, burned them in front of everybody. So let me just wrap all this up with a simple statement that will lead us to pray together. If you flood your world with the word of God, like Paul flooded Ephesus with the word of God in the same way that he did and overthrew the demonic culture of his day, if you unashamedly flood your own world, start with your own life, start with your own home. Let the Lord be happy over you and let it be known. Show it forth. If you do that, then the demonic culture of this day will not be able to prevail. You will prevail. The word will increase in your life and you will prevail. That is the secret, people. That is the secret for you and I to overcoming the world and more than overcoming the world, but to bring some people with us. If you want to bring people to Jesus, you have to let the world see the separation, the difference, the change, what God has done for me. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me. And let's make this, let's make this our, our altar call prayer this morning. God wants you to prevail. And he wants his word and he wants his kingdom to prevail through your life. I think the first thing you and I need to ask ourselves, am I willing to live to see Jesus prevail? Every Christian should answer that immediately with an affirmative. Absolutely, yes. Every real Christian whose life has truly been touched by Jesus, who's really been freed from darkness, should be able to spring up with an answer. Absolutely, I want my life to be part of God's prevailing word. I want to see the Lord prevail. And if you can't quickly answer that, then don't be discouraged. It just means there's some decisions to be made. And maybe some of the things I said at the very beginning of the message caught your attention. The things that come out of our mouth either help us or hinder us. And so there may be some this morning that are going to have to make a decision to put aside what's hindering so they can take hold of what's helping. Life is filled with words. Those words either lead us to God or lead us to the devil's plan for our life. And so I want to pray with you this morning. Father, you have touched the lives of millions and millions of people in this world today. And truly, Lord, there is a real fire that is moving across the face of the earth as people are breaking free and giving their lives to you, Lord. But we need, Father God, to remember 
that nothing happens unless the word prevails. Father, we need to see the word prevail here in our community, in our homes, in our schools, in our community, in our city, in our state, in our world. It begins right here. And so, Father, I make my decision today, and I want to encourage you, if you're praying with me right now, to make this your personal altar and to speak this before the Lord. Lord, I commit myself and open up my heart. I want the Word of God to prevail in my life. Help me, Holy Spirit, for I receive you as my teacher and my leader. You are leading me and teaching me what to say, how to think. I welcome your leadership. Lord, I pray that you will sort out the truth of the Word in my life. Help me to be faithful to the Word and to let your living Word prevail through me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, before we have our blessing and before I let you go, here's a practical thing that you can do. When you leave today and you go home and you go back to your uh, routine and, uh, and, and your habit and your work and your relationships and all the things that you do, think of the area of your life that you'd like to see change. Think of the area of your life that right now, victory is not prevailing in your life. God wants, first of all, tell yourself, God wants you to prevail in that area of your life. He wants you to have victory. So look at that area of your life and go find out what the Bible says about it. Find out what the Word says. If the enemy is threatening you with sickness and disease, if he's come against you with poverty, if he is sowing strife and division into your life, if you are struggling with constant temptation, all of those things, there are simple statements that Jesus has made, statements in his word that are very clear. Find those scriptures, write them down, put them on a piece of paper, stick them in your pocket, maybe scan them in your phone, whatever. Keep them nearby and pull them out. Get them out and quote them if need be a dozen times a day. Every time that obstacle comes up in front of you, get that word out. Don't fight it with sentimentality. Don't, my God, don't try to fight it with your emotions because the enemy comes against you when you're flat and when you're down and when your emotions are at their weakest. That's when you need the word. Doesn't matter how you feel. Get the word out and lift up that word. You do that on a regular basis. You will see the Spirit of God begin to rise up in your life. And that turnaround's coming. It's coming. That victory will be yours. Praise the Lord. All right, I'd like you just to lift your hands to the Father. Lord, thank you. I release right now that anointing and that blessing. Father, may your love, that sweet and precious love that you have given us in Jesus, fill their hearts. May your eyes be filled with the light of his love. And may you walk in his peace as you walk from this place today. I pray that a sense of victory and a sense of mission will seize your heart and direct your path. And that you'll be ready to speak in the opportunities that God gives you this week for him and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the name of